I am delighted to be sitting here with the very famous and wonderful wildlife artist David Shepherd CBE in the gallery in Shelford, just yes. outside Guildford. And tell me about your love of locomotives and steam trains. Well, it all started in the 1930s when we used to go down to Bursington and um, Ramsgate for our holidays. You know, in those days with mum and dad, my brother and sister and I. And my dad said, well, it's much more fun to watch the trains go by than build sandcastles on the beach. So that's how my love of steam was born, I think, in 1931. Oh, okay. I was in a pram almost. And, uh, but the really exciting thing was that ultimately in 1967... I uh, had a one-man show in Nairobi, in sorry, in New York, in New York, which sold out on the first night, and I came back in a state of euphoria. And before I realised what I was doing, I telephoned British Rail and said, "Can I buy a steam engine?" And that's <laughs> wonderful. I got my beloved Black Prince, who's as big as uh, Clanline, which comes in today. Clanline, most Navy Pacific locomotive, beautiful machines. And uh, she came about as my engine Black Prince did. We were destroying our steam age in the 1966 and seven and eight in a rush to dieselise and go all modern and electric. And it was shameful because it was taxpayers' money that were being spent. And the whole fraternity of railway enthusiasts in this country woke up to suddenly to the fact that there won't be any steam engines left. So we, it was a crusade, huge, it never seemed to stop. People were sending £3,000 in green stamps to British Rail saying, is this enough for a deposit to buy a da-da-da locomotive? And, <laughs> and it was wild. Wow. And I was able, having enjoyed this hugely successful exhibitionist, in New York to be able to buy what turned out to be Black Prince, which is 140 tonnes of steam engine. Dare I ask how much it cost? It cost, it cost him £3,000. That was a stra- scrap value. Wow. She was only eight years old. Just had a heavy overhaul. Only eight years old? British Rail said, we'll take her out of service straight away for you. It was super bad. I called my fifth daughter. I was on Country Line, Country File, rather, on television some months ago. The interviewer was saying, what do you, about, what do you mean about your fifth daughter? You've got, well, we've got four daughters... And Black Prince, and she's a member of the family. But uh, talks to you. Black mm-hmm. Prince will misbehave. If you, if you, I used to ride a lot, and if a horse um, misbehaves, if it finds out you can't ride it properly, it mis- misbehave. So will a steam engine. If, if you don't know where to put the coal and how to get it into the firebox, needle will go down. Pressure gauge reason will go down, and the train will stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oversimplifying it, but it's. Well, it's a highly emotional thing. David, I want to ask you a question. How did a boy in Hendon get to be so passionate about African wildlife conservation? Gosh, that's, no, that's a lovely question. It's never been asked quite in that same way. I was born in the yards of what is now Brent Cross Shopping Centre. Oh, my word. North Shirtle Road, mate. <laughs> and, uh, well, the answer is that um, my life was just like any other middle-class child, I suppose, from a middle-class family. Um, nothing special, whatever. I certainly wasn't particularly intelligent about anything. In fact, I was plain ignorant. I was hopeless. I had no no qualifications of any sort. But um, it all changed when um, I met the, met the man who trained me. He took me on as a challenge because he'd never seen anybody so incompetent and untalented as, as me. And he decided to take me on. This is after I'd been thrown out by the school of the slave school of fine art. They threw me out and said, "You're not worth teaching. Go and drive a bus." Oh my goodness! That is actually true. Oh my goodness! Because I had no talent. So, so who was your mentor? Well, a chap called Robin Goodwin. Nobody's ever heard of him, sadly. But if I hadn't gone to a certain party in Winchester this particular evening in 1951, I wouldn't be here talking to you now. And he said, well, I don't teach anybody, David. I'm too busy. But if you want me to see your work tomorrow, show me tomorrow. 
And I drove up in my little pickup truck to um, his studio in Chelsea and showed him this ghastly picture of birds, which is it's notorious now because I take it to all my lectures and things when I show it to the public because they, they say you must have had huge talent to have succeeded like you have. And I said, no, I had no talent at all. And I showed him this bird painting. They said, my God, you're bloody right, you didn't have any talent. <laughs> and uh, I showed it to him. And he said, well, I've never taught anybody before or since because I don't teach. But if you want me to teach you, it'll be hell. But I'll take you on because you are so bad. It's a challenge. <laughs> and I, I had three oh, no. love and hate relationship years with him. He made my life absolute hell. Really? Yes. He only once said anything nice about me in the whole three years. He, in the very first morning I was with him, he said, I'm not going to teach you, I'm not going to mention the good things about your work, if there are any, uh, but we had enormous fun, because after all that he said, uh, you're, you've got to be a businessman, because you're painting and selling pictures. So every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, when it's pouring the rain outside and you can't see a student, your, net, your canvas, paint every day, because it's going to be a business. And that is the way to learn. Well, I think it's great to be actually taught that ethos of running a business <laughs> as well as just wanting to do something creative. Absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, he said the world's not going to come to you. You've got to get the world. That's very true. Now, after 50, 60 years, fine, I'm jolly happy and enjoying it. Because aviation was my first big thing. I was living in London during the Brits and got this passion for aeroplanes. And uh, so after my training, I spent the whole of this summer of 1952 at Heathrow. Not many people know this. I was known as the Heathrow artist. There used to be bus tours around Heathrow. So that is David Shepherd. He paints there every day. Wow. <laughs> and I could go wherever I wanted. They, they sort of gently said, we'd rather you didn't go on the runways because there may be a plane landing sometimes. <laughs> and from there, the RAF noticed my work. And the RAF started taking me on as their guest and, asked, and flying me around the world. You know. I'd never fabulous. been in the RAF, but I was right. a lift. And, for instance, they said, we've got a plane going out to Aden and Kenya next week. Would you like to hop on board? I did, and I arrived in Nairobi, where they knew I was coming. And the RAF in Nairobi said, we'd like a couple of pictures for the horses mess, but we don't want bloody aeroplanes, because we fly them all day. Do you do animals? And I said, good God, I haven't even painted a gerbil or anything. No, I hadn't. It never occurred to me. I rushed out to Nairobi there and then and actually bought a canvas from an art shop in Nairobi. Painted my very first wildlife painting for the RAF of a rhino chasing an RAF aeroplane off an airstrip in Kenya. Wonderful. And that, I've never looked back from that moment. But the passion for conservation came at the same time on that visit because I was starting my career as a wildlife artist with huge dramatic effects. You know, everybody who's seen the painting, which I did for the RAF, said, oh, we want one too. And uh, wildlife was beginning to start doing things for me. And I felt immediately that, that I had to put something back in return. But that's now to a point where I've got my own foundation. But just a little bit detail, because it was uh, when I'd done the painting in Nairobi in for 25 quid for the officer's mess, my game warden friends said, well, let's go out in the Serengeti and show some wildlife. And we came across a water hole that had been poisoned with battery acid. Oh. And we counted over 100 dead zebra. Terrible. And when you've seen that, you never forget it. No. And it was happening at the t- same time as my career was escalating, if you like. People were wanting my pictures. So the only natural thing, there's nothing marvelous about it, is to return something by donating paintings when I can do it. It must be so rewarding your life is just incredible and amazing. How do you feel when you look back over the years? Do you feel slight disbelief at the journey that you've gone on? <laughs> I am especially lucky in having the sort of life I have led, like when I painted HMS Art Royal. And then within weeks later, that, having done that, I was painting uh, Queen Mother's portrait in Clarence House. Wow. And she said, how do you manage to paint an aircraft carrier one minute? And my, yes, exactly. <laughs> and my portrait the next. And I said, there's no difference, ma'am. <laughs> 
Well, you see, that sort of experience and little anecdotal story yeah. is typical of my mad life. Yeah. And it's fun, it's bloody hard work. I'm beginning sure. to feel the hard work now, actually. You're telling me a little funny story about uh, Guildford District Rotary Club. Are you telling me about auctioning a picture that was on the table? Oh, and... God, it was shocking, yes. We decided to go one further and do something that's never been done before. There's an auction, you see, every night, so a black tie dinner and all the boxes, they've all gone home. And uh, we decided to make a table exactly matching Guildford Civic Hall tables, but they didn't know. And the arrangement was that uh, the auctioneer would say, now we have one more uh, auction, gentlemen. Anybody got a Black & Decker? Yes, I've got one. So he lowered his Black & Decker over the parapet and down, and we grabbed it and take, took the chain off and started it and pulled the thing up. Uh, I, in the meantime, had just finished an oil painting on, the, on this table. And uh, so that was the incentive procedure. And so I took my dinner jacket off and just finished the painting and then, come on, cut the... Pull the toddle. <laughs> and clouds of chips and bits of wood and chip and all in our dinner jackets. Yeah. The manager of the Civic Hall thought it was your city called property. That's, what he was yeah, yeah, a that's our table. It wasn't that. <laughs> and it went for 7,000. Excellent. I mean, it was just a crazy mad joke, which I couldn't do again. But uh, oh, Great fun, though. That probably is one of the madder things I've done. <laughs> <laughs> Life is never dull. You ask my wife. Oh, I'm, God. Sure. Uh, I'm sure. I'm no, sure. I'm lucky. I, I, I could talk all day about meeting Neil Armstrong. I met him just after he came back to the room, the moon. Wow. I was introduced to him as a conservationist. And he said, I'm a conservationist too, David. You've got to be when you've been to the moon. And I'm so privileged to have met him. He said that we're raping the planet. That's exactly what we're doing. We're all in this mess together. And every living thing has a right to be on that, what do you call it, the uh, gentle, the balance of nature. Absolutely. I know. I it. yeah. It's a terrifying prospect. I mean, kids being born now. We'll live to 80 years old, 90 years old. And looking out of that window, it's just, I mean, you can't begin to imagine what it's going to be like in 90 years' time. I know. I mean, what would you? What would be your message to the younger generation? I may, well, first of all, a very simple thing. Go out and buy it. Tell your headmistress or headmaster at your school to go and buy a mirror. Five quid, three quid. Hang it on the wall of the shop, of the school. Underneath your right, I'm now looking at the most dangerous animal on the planet. I'm looking at the most dangerous man on Earth. Lots of schools are taking it up, actually. Uh, so, out of everything that you've done throughout the years, uh, is there um, one main highlight? Anything that kind of completely sticks out? Which is a very difficult question to ask you, because you've done so many amazing no, things. No, it's easy. It's easy. Because the one thing is meeting Robin Goodman. He's dead now. But I was, I, I was saying it all before. I wouldn't be here now without him. And every moment of breathing, sleeping, eating, everything, I'm, I'm thinking of him. David Shepherd, TV, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, bless you.